The following is a sponsored program on 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this program are solely those of the individuals or participants involved and do not necessarily represent those of Braden Madison Broadcasting or its employees. 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday morning at 10 AM. Sumner County Spotlight is brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. FNM Bank offers personal banking, business banking, and mortgage loans too. FNM Bank is one of the top independent banks in Tennessee. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, MMLS number 518158. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlight. Jeff Shannon. Well, good morning. Welcome to the show. Another Sunday edition of Sumner County Spotlight. We're going to um, have a story for you here. That's it, it just incredible, and it just uh, it was amazing when I started reading everything about Mr. James' story. And James, I got to thank you for coming in. And we we bought somebody that you know, our good buddy uh, Gunner Douglas over here. And you guys have quite a history, so we're going to jump into that, find out what the history is about. But let's kick it off with you. I, I would start reading stuff but it's just too amazing well good I, might, I don't want to ruin it so. uh, good morning thank you for having me i'm james story i'm a 42 year veteran of teaching in sumner county graduated from tennessee tech in 1977 i graduated from greenville high school up in the mountains in 1973. Good years, the, uh, the fun very time. Very good years. Yeah. And additionally, I went to receive my master's in music education at Austin Peay State University 10 years after I uh, started my teaching career. My first teaching gig was at White House High School. I graduated on a Saturday, and I was interviewing on a, the following Tuesday with Dr. B.S. Hobbs and White House High School oh, wow. principal. That following weekend, I was moving there. So I didn't have a lot of turnaround. And I think one of the most fortunate things that happened to me, I student taught at Gallatin High School while I was at Tennessee Tech. So that opened a lot of doors to Dan P. Herring, who is a great name in education, and Dr. B.S. Hobbs. And uh, they gave me a lot of chances and allowed me to be creative starting in band and choir. My first year of teaching uh, included high school band, sixth grade band, seventh grade band, high school choir, a jazz band. So I had to do it all. I was a one-man show. <laughs> wow. And that uh, happened for four years until I was recruited to go over to Gallon High School by Mr. Dan P. Heron. And from there, I stayed in the band program for a number of years. And then I went over to choir. And from there, I went to Volunteer State Community College. I taught uh, in Sumner County for 19 years and 21 one years at Volunteer State Community College. Wait a minute, you're, you're not that old. Yes, I am. You're only like 35 or something. Looks can be deceiving. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're holding it well. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, thank you. And my relationship with uh, Gunnar Douglas, uh, he Look was at in him. one of my beginning band programs at Rucker Stewart in middle school. And later on, he came on up to high school, and his interests were not in trombone at that time. Not so much. Not no. So much at all. So, what was uh, her name? Uh, 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 Dua. What was her name? Oh, they brought me over to the choir. Uh, her, her name was Music, I think. Music. Yeah. Right? Be that as it may, I, I noticed that he had an ear for a sound 
and sound reinforcing and setting up uh, for the programs that we had. And also, he was a fill-in drummer when there was not a drummer. So he was he's quite talented. He wow. was quite talented <laughs> in his er- earlier years. Well, then he got into radio. Yeah. Started using the voice. Well, I'm telling you, he's, he's helped with the community and set up and uh, sound and at church. And uh, he's a all-around Well, he, he might be a uh, you know, pretty experienced uh, roadie. Uh, yes, out on the road. Actually, you, for you could do a that. Few years with a band, so yeah, yeah. Done, done the whole thing. I've you know always loved music, all aspects of music, from production to uh, I mean, I, I sang in the choir for a little bit, played yeah. keys one year, drums one yeah. year, ran sound. So just kind of all of it has always you know interesting. Yeah, uh, and and I give a lot of that. James brought a lot of that out of me, and, and not just myself, but it's amazing how many people went through that program at Gallatin. Kim Locke. You know, American Idol, uh, Clint Park, Seth Sanders, hopefully out there listening. But uh, there's been so many people that have gone on to be great writers mm-hmm. and singers in, in the business. That So can, you mean can, I can claim that? You can claim it. It's all you would. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of the things yeah. when you're growing up like that, what an inspiration a teacher could be sure. that actually affects the rest of your life. He really does. And uh, Mr. Story here seems like he's done that with you. He has. I mean, to, to have this kind of impact where you've developed and, and maintained the relationship relationship after all of these years mm-hmm. uh, is, is is amazing. Yeah, and I, and I like that I can call him a friend, too. He's just a, yeah, a sure. great guy, mentor, and uh, has done so much for the community. An amazing person. Just glad, really glad to know him. As this story continues, and I, I've, I've started reading, you know, your bio here, and it's a, I just go... I don't. I don't know where to start. It's just it. Every sentence gets more amazing. Well, one of my biggest accomplishments uh, was to develop a music curriculum at Volunteer State Community College. I had gone there. There was really no formal program as such. I say that in that there was no transition for high school students to come there and study music for two years and go into the upper two years in the university level. And from the very beginning, I knew that we had to expand our curriculum because of state requirements and try to get more students in the music program at Volunteer State. So I take a lot of credit for developing music curriculum. I take some credit for helping design <laughs> the new fine arts building mm, because oh, I was chair. Very impressive. Yeah, yeah, I was chair of the music department there for 10 years, and I saw a lot of changes in, in the school for the better. And now we have a full I do say we because I still go of all state. <laughs> we have a uh, program of professional music that I developed that degree program that students not only can go into various music uh, degrees at four-year universities, mm-hmm. but they can start uh, their professional music career there at Ball State. And I'm very proud of that. So as they, as they come in there, I mean, I guess they're learning about music. <laughs> Um, are they learning the business of music as well, or is that well, there's certain, leave that to Belmont? <laughs> yeah, those are certain tracks. We yeah. prepare the students with the basics of music theory and ear training, okay. and then they have to master some instrument. There are certain ensembles they can participate in, but we, first two years at Vol State, the student is able to receive all the general ed courses, and once they go to Belmont or MTSU, they're set 
uh, to go into their junior year. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's such a process. People think, well, I can just play a little guitar and, you know, there's just so much more involved. Yeah, the theory the theory part of music is the one that separates the boys from the men or the you know girls from the ladies because they have to be able to study the music theory mm-hmm. and learn skills and learn how music is developed and composition and ear training, how to read music and how to practically play on an instrument and or voice. Mm-hmm. So it's a very strict two-year program that allows these students to matriculate on the higher level. Not anything is e- easy. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's something you have to work at and you have to practice. I mean, I taught myself drums. I taught myself a little guitar, but I still have no idea what I'm doing. Right. You know, I pick at it. If I stick with country music, I do the three chords, I'm good. Yeah. But the minute you start getting the majors and minors and all this, the F chord was the hardest for me to ever hit. I struggled with that. It just couldn't get you know my fingers to lay down right. but it's it's something you have to stay at when when somebody comes into a level like like your, your vol state program obviously they have to have some experience with with some instruments or do they just come in and learn it from the ground up well that's the unfortunate thing a lot of students that come that want to be sound engineers and are performing musicians they have to have some type of uh, criteria or interest before they come there mm-hmm. now we have some students uh, when I was working there that had no previous music training whatsoever they bring their uh, guitar or their stats and say I want to be a musician of course we have to adjust to that in various stages they go to private lessons and class piano and our guitar to uh, hone their skills for those first two years mm-hmm. and that's through private lessons and performances that they're exposed to. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I applaud you. And, and as a teacher, trying to teach somebody who knows zilch about music and, well, and mold their mind and their fingers and getting their ears and all of that to, to work together is pretty impressive. Well, uh, my experience from teaching sixth grade band came into practice a lot throughout, <laughs> my, throughout my career. Because as a music educator, you had to be very versed in various teachings of uh, woodwinds and brass because you're taking students that never had any experience on the sixth grade level to hone their skills and their interest and encouraging them to practice to become a musician and seemingly like that same concept was happening at Vol State. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Well, and they've done a great job over there. I mean, that, oh, that their, their program, they yeah. I guess they have the recording. I guess you can use learn sound engineering mm-hmm. and it's a pretty impressive board they've got over there right. and you know, the I guess recording and things like that. But while you were there, I guess you produced um, over what 35 projects uh, CDs and 40, uh, 40 Christmas and uh, spring music I had, uh, wow I, I had shows we had our Christmas shows and then we had our spring shows so I was pretty much the producer of those programs and everything was recorded there at Ball State everything nice. was written by a lot of the students mm-hmm. and everything was recorded there in the studio at Volunteer State Steve Beiser who is in charge of entertainment media program was very helpful mm-hmm. in doing that over the years well it's good you have support you yes, know uh, yes. 
of yes. the administration. And because, I guess, Middle Tennessee is heavily focused on the music industry, right. it, it just makes sense that they would offer programs like that. And, oh, correct. You know, it, the, the fact that over these many years, you've touched so many people's lives. I mean, it's like, wow. Well, that's <laughs> And Gunnar, look, look at this guy. He's <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was trained to do. And thank goodness, I, I'm thankful every day for my talent and how I have been able to use it over my life. And you meet a lot of great people on the way. Yes, I do. You know, and I you've do. you've got some pretty impressive awards you've won over the years, and uh, and I think even Grammy is mentioned in here somewhere. How did that come about? Well, in 2015, I was nominated by my dean for uh, the Grammy Teacher of the Year Award, and it was a long process of having to fill out a huge resume, and I had to give my philosophy of teaching. I had to send a sample of me in the classroom. Uh, instructing and then uh, I sent all the forms in and that year I think there were 7,000 educators who had uh, (laughs) applied for this one uh, award Mm -hmm. and in the end I was in the top 25 of those uh, educators around the country during that time so I thought it was a pretty way pretty much a way to acclimate what I had been doing in teaching yeah and still I am a part of the Grammy Foundation still today that's yeah that's great as ASCAP because of some of my writing skills Mm -hmm. and I, I take that very serious and I'm very honored and I'm humbled with a, with a nomination. Well, I think if you look back on it, I guess you you have to be impressed with what you've done during your lifetime. And I mean, just everything that I'm seeing here and meeting you for the first time, I'm impressed that, you know, the legacy and the impact that you've made on people's lives over the years. I'm just grateful for the simple fact that I'm in an area where there is so much talent. Totally. And that helps in the long run. Yeah. So, Gunnar, how did uh, Mr. Story impact your life as, as a young guy coming into the business? Uh, what was it that, that he did that kind of separated him from the other teachers? I would definitely say his ability to see the whole picture. Um, it, it was amazing. When I was in high school, we had what was called cabaret or great performances. Great, yeah, great yeah. performances. Yeah. It was like something you would see on the college level or higher. Uh, for you know, for high school students to put it together, I, I know that when tickets would go on sale, we would do it for you know an entire you know two weekends or whatever, and it was completely sold out. Yeah, I mean the first couple of days, you just couldn't get tickets in there. Yeah, and just had, but there was just some amazing talent that came through that high school uh, at mm-hmm. the time that it was just uh, incredible to be a part of that. Sure, and that just just fueled my fire for uh, entertainment. Well, yeah, you, know. you definitely were inspired for sure. Oh yeah. So, well, we got more of the story with James Story, and that's going to be coming up. We're going to take this break. We'll be right back with more of Sumner County Spotlight. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. And we're back this Sunday morning with Sumner County Spotlight. I'm your host, Jeff Shannon, and uh, a couple guests in the studio here. We have Mr. James Story and our, our very own Gunnar Douglas over here, who has been inspired by Mr. Story over the years. When you started telling me about your history together, I got to thinking, and it just embedded in me that he had, after all of these years, had to make such an impression on you. And we talked before the break how he had done some of that. But I think it's it's more impactful than that. If it's if you that were impacted, think about all the other students the same thing had to happen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's uh, I mean, just, just countless that have, that have gone on to do very well in the music business and all aspects of the mm-hmm. music business, writing, production, uh, on stage, you know, singing, mm-hmm. uh, 
pass through the hands of uh, Mr. Story here. So yeah. it's just been a, been, a, been a privilege to be a part of that. Yes, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, just as we sit here and we're going to continue to talk, I keep envisioning him back in the day doing his chubby checker impression because, you know, he could probably twist pretty good. <laughs> well, I have my days. I could I still do some Can moves. Well, I still if have we were doing the video podcast, that'd be great right Ooh, yeah. now. I still have a few moves. Yeah, look at it. That's good. So, James, you, when did you decide to kind of write a book? And this book is full of history, and I know how much work you've, you've done for this, but it's called This Is My Story, This Is My Song, This Is My Miracle. Tell us how all that came about, what inspired you to, to kind of come up with this, because uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, the book goes back from an idea in 1986 when we had our first family reunion. And I had a tape recorder and I went to my great aunt Annabelle's to record her. At that time, she was 86. So she had all these stories and all the history of the family that I didn't even know. I didn't even know who my great great grandparents uh, yeah. were. I spent a couple weeks with her just recording it. And then I compiled that family history into a booklet that we handed out at a family reunion. And then I went back and I researched the family trees of all these people. And, and when I looked at the tree, I said, this is pretty amazing that this is all a part of my mother's side. Yeah, and not counting my father's side, where they had 13 kids there. Wow. Uh, so I, we took a picture, and I said, wow, we covered yeah. the side of a mountain <laughs> just in the picture. <laughs> well, be that as it may, later on, I started to accumulate the idea of I am going to write a family history. And then I had this idea, since I grew up in uh, the Jim Crow South, why not infuse that with my story, my musical journey, mm -hmm. uh, how I wanted to become a musician, for the simple fact that I found that all of these people in my family were musicians without being trained. Uh, my father was a guitarist and a singer for a gospel group. They had a, a radio show every Sunday morning on WGRV in Greenville, Tennessee, mm -hmm. and we actually sat around the radio and watched it, <laughs> that type thing. And that's and, what you did. Yeah, you watched that radio. watched yeah. the radio. <laughs> and later on, my aunts and uncles all were involved in church music. My father was involved with church music. Uh, back then, church services would last uh, maybe a couple hours. And then in the afternoon, we were at another church where these gospel rock stars with their slick hair and their matching suits would give a concert. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we were on the concert, you know, room back then. Mm -hmm. So I call my father in the, in the book a gospel rock star because that's what we grew up with. So and then he has some interesting things on his family side that was very intriguing. Mm -hmm. And I, I just said, I've got to record all of these for the simple fact that they will be lost uh, during a period of me wanting to become a musician, having family that were musicians, and my passion for becoming a music educator. It all made sense. So I started working on it maybe in 2015, just a little bit, accumulating stories, and come to find out one of my father's sisters introduced Martin Luther King in Georgia. There was a story... Uh, 
that my grandfather and grandmother had crossing a bridge when my mother was a newborn and the car fell <laughs> turned over on them and my grandfather had to make a decision whether to save my mom or save his wife and there was a man on the side of the hill that apparently jumped in and saved my mom and when my grandfather got to the side of the road to thank him he was gone and then all of these miraculous stories about my great aunt who swam up the Jordan River after she was baptized in the Jordan River <laughs> and she couldn't swim you know <laughs> just you know and all these fun uh, wow. very colorful stories yeah. that were a part of me and I put a stop on the book around 2018 when I moved and my sister was saying you got to get back to the book you got to get back to the book then in 2020 I contracted COVID and I was in a hospital three different hospitals for 71 days that whole experience gave me a very spiritual encounter with God and what he wanted me to do with my life so my original idea was this is my story this is my song based on the hymn Blessed Assurance but then after I had gone through this whole series of rejuvenation and reviving myself spiritually with the help of a lot of prayers. I said, okay, this is my story. This is my song. This is my miracle. I've got to tell it yes. about it. Uh, He's not it, done with you yet. Yeah, so right. you've got more to do. Exactly. Yeah. And just by the simple fact that people at my church and the community and all my former students and colleagues all have prayer vigils for me to pull up. I mean, I was on my deathbed. Wow. And not only that, while I was going through this all this trauma, I had to learn how to walk again. I had to learn how to swallow again. Uh, my kidneys failed. I was on dialysis, and with all of the, I was on a breathing tube. I was I was a month in the ICU and 15 days on a ventilator. And, and I'm a firm believer with all these prayers and all the prayers of the people. It gave me a new hope. And pulling through that whole scenario sure. was very spiritual and uh, profound. And it's very interesting when the doctor stands at the foot of your bed and tell you, okay, Lazarus, how are we doing today? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then another time when, when the doctor said, you no longer need dialysis. You know, those are miraculous things sure. that are done, not by, by the health profession, but only the prayers of the people. And I'm a firm believer. I'm here because of that. Wow. I mean, that's that's just that's a great story right there. And, you know, the unfortunate thing with the COVID that has affected so many lives. Mm -hmm. And I guess in another perspective, I guess you can look at it, that it's probably saved a bunch of people's lives and almost kind of revitalized them and maybe hit and inspired them to a different direction. It helped you to add to this, this story and to complete your story and to make it the miracle that it is. And you were able to, to pull this off through everything that you've been through. Kudos. <laughs> well, great. the most interesting thing is that I have been able to talk with uh, COVID survivors and uh, to give them hope and to inspire them of my story. Mine was very early on in the COVID thing, and a lot of the things that the doctors were doing was very experimental during the time. So they made great strides since March 2020. Yeah. But uh, just to see myself lying there with no hope, they had called hospice in, I was really on my way out. 
this is uh, a story that a lot of people could probably tell that have been there, especially early on in this pandemic. Uh, and as you said, they, they didn't really have a, a, a textbook to go by exactly. how to deal with this this virus. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they've done so and, and able to save a lot of people's lives and come up with vaccines and this, that, and the other, the technologies increase. We're just happy that, that you're here and you've made it through because you've been such an inspiration on, on so many people's lives and impacting them even to this day. Well, even the impact of knowing so many people and who have, since I've taught so many people, they were they are still part of my story mm-hmm. because they actually said prayers for me. They communicated with me. They reached out to me and encouraged me. You can do this. You mm-hmm. can get well. You can get better. So I think it's all the things that I put in the inspiration maybe that I put into the lives of many it paid off sure for the simple fact that you know they they sent their thoughts they sent their prayers I'm just very grateful for it looking back over this period of time in your life since you started your musical career what do you think that has been the biggest impact on your life that it caused you to get to where you are today? I think the biggest impact on my life has been a church musician. It has enabled me to, with my spiritual life, uh, it has enabled me to hear so many various genres of music in the church, even a, a hymn that is inspirational. Uh, when I was going through this journey, keeping with the church, there was a playlist of my life with various songs that went through my head. Uh, Blessed Assurance, What a Friend, This Little Light of Mine, it was just, the, mm-hmm. these songs were on a loop, and somehow those songs from the church gave me inspiration to get better mm-hmm. because of the poetic imagery, the theology behind the music, and being able to hear those songs in a rearranged version, they, they gave me the initiative to survive. Well, and, and the fact that you've made an impact on so many people's lives, what would be the, I guess, the, the one thing you would advise an up-and-comer in, into the music business? What would, you, what would be your number one advice for them? If you don't have the passion, don't go into it. You have to have the passion to learn. You have to have the passion and discipline to practice. You have to have the passion to make music a part of your whole persona. It's almost like you have to give up some things in your life to make music the number one priority uh, of your profession. Sure. Uh, well, it's amazing how music affects everybody's life. They yeah. can say that it doesn't, but I guarantee you, you, know, you put a, a powerful song on. Yeah. Let me tell it's you about to... a powerful song. The year before I contracted COVID or whatever, I had written a song for our vacation Bible school kind of music camp, mm-hmm. and we used that song. And during that summer, the song that I had written was a song that they played when I was in ICU trying to get out. What I mean by trying to get out, I was fighting them to get off the ventilator. Mm -hmm. And a song that I wrote for that music camp and a song that I had written in the memory of my sister, friends suggested that they play that for me. As soon as I heard my music, I settled down. And in my mind, I was thinking, there's a familiar melody there's a familiar melody and it got louder and then at that point I settled down and I was able to come off the ventilation 
Is that crazy? Man, that's the that, power that's wild. and the passion of music. Wow. I get, I'm just getting chills listening to you talk about it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> you know, I appreciate you taking your time to come in and talk to us about this. How could they get a hold of this book? Because, folks, you, you, you've you got to read this. It's going to be such an inspiration to your life. So tell us how they can uh, get a hold of it. They could go to jamesstory.com, uh, my website, and there's a place to order it from Amazon. Or they can go basically to Amazon. Click in. This is my story by James Story, and it'll pull up. Easy to remember. Really? <laughs> well, we've been talking with uh, Mr. James Story, and wow, I mean, what what a history. What a legacy you've left behind. I know you've affected this guy, uh, Gunnar Douglas, over here, to the, uh, and I'm sure he's very proud of you. And just after talking, I'm proud of you. Well, so thank you, sir. Keep doing what you're doing. Okay. We appreciate it. Thank you for the time. Absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap up this segment of Sumner County Spotlight. We'll be right back with more. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Welcome back to Summer County Spotlight. Your host, Jeff Shannon, here. Uh, we're kind of uh, changing seats a little bit right now. We're going to uh, hop into Sumner County. We're going to be talking here with Josh Sudith, and he's the Director of Development Services for Sumner County. And, you know, I know how busy you are. It's crazy down there. There's so, so much going on in Sumner County. It's Everything's just blowing up. So introduce yourself. Let, let's let's find out about Josh here. Sure. Well, my name is uh, Josh Sudith. That's what I said. I was seeing if you were going to catch right, it. Right, I was testing right, you. That's, that's right. what I, I was it, it's a it's a tough one. It's it's uh, it's 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 easy to mispronounce. That's for sure. People come up with all kinds of alternative pronunciations. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm director of development services for Sumner County Government. And so what that means is uh, we oversee the uh, planning and zoning, uh, engineering, stormwater management, and uh, floodplain administration uh, functions for the county. Our responsibility generally speaking is is outside the city limits so anything outside the city limits here in sumner county is something that that we have uh, have authority in those areas for um and so that's about about 420 square miles of the county's 500 or so square wow. miles um is unincorporated has about 50 or 60 thousand residents in it um and uh, we deal with all kinds of issues it's it's a uh, it's something different every every hour of every day well yeah you know that because you never know especially with the weather we've been having and this that <clears throat> craziness and when you spoke before about dealing with the i guess the flood plane and things that are going on with that a lot of people's concerned uh, especially around these these you know big creek station camp creek and all of that that kind of does a little bit overflowing from time to time and uh, what are some of the things that you guys will get involved with to help control some of that that flooding well there's you know it's it's limited you know what anybody can do to to control mother nature that's you know, right when it rains it, it rains and and the water is going to to some extent do what what it's naturally going to do which is flow downhill mm-hmm. um, but what we do uh, tr- strive to do um, like i said we, we oversee floodplain administration uh, functions which is a, a federal responsibility that we have um, to uh, regulate development within that floodplain Okay. So there are certain areas in the floodplain you just can't build there um, because it's it's in a essentially the flood channel. It's too dangerous. So you mm-hmm. see you can't build there. Right. Other areas you have to build them up, get things above the floodplain, that kind okay. of thing. So that so we, we regulate that, make sure that new construction is being done in accordance with those federal requirements there. The other side is stormwater. So it's a little different. Uh, stormwater is a water quality and quantity thing that we do okay. that's a state responsibility. 
um, and that's regulating developments when they come through to make sure that uh, the water is, uh, you know, they're not putting mud and stuff off, off site during construction. Um, but also the post-construction uh, things we look at is quality of water leaving the site, but quantity. So you see mm-hmm. detention basins and ponds that we have developers put in um, on, on bigger developments. That's to control the amount of water that's leaving. And so it slowly just releases that water and over accumulated across, sure. across a lot of developments here that we think that helps to, to mitigate flooding. So I guess when you look at different sites, you see this this black tarp that kind of borders a an area that maybe they're building on. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that helps to control some of the things coming through that getting into the stormwater system. That's right. It's called okay. a, that's called a silt fence. Okay. So those silt fences are put in and they help to, to capture sediment um, as it's leaving and to slow down water as it's mm-hmm. leaving as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because you want to make sure that the uh, the dirt that's on the site stays on the site to the extent possible and doesn't get in somebody else's yard or in the road or anything. Yeah. It would it'd be hard to believe cause, since most of it is solid rock, but <laughs> I guess we do have some soil. <laughs> right. <That's> right. <laughs> so what is the, is there a rating, like a floodplain rating, like you're in a five or whatever? Is, is there such a thing? There, well, there is uh, to some extent. So that dangerous area that I was talking about where you can't build anything is called the floodway, the regulatory floodway. Okay. Um, and then the other zones are uh, zone AE is what it's called. It's a, again, it's a federal requirement. So mm-hmm. it's got lots of, they got acronyms, lots yeah, of acronyms. Yeah. And that means that you've got a, that's, that's where the flood zone goes to once in a hundred years, essentially, the hundred year floodplain, zone AE. How close um, are we to that? Uh, well, <laughs> no, uh, well, here, here at, at Indian Lake, I think you're pretty good. You're, you're yeah, on, yeah. on a little bit of a hill here, but there's a lot of the county that, that is in that hundred year floodplain, mm-hmm. um, and we're definitely seeing, uh, for whatever reason, def- that hundred year floodplain seems to happen. Uh, that, that occurrence is more often than a hundred years, uh, yeah. for sure. Well, I know back in 2010 when that historic thing happened, it affected a lot of us here, mm-hmm. and we weren't here at that time. But we had just left. Uh, we were actually my wife and I were speaking at the Gaylord, and I guess a month later. I'm seeing on the news where Gaylord was flooded. I mean, it was like 10, 12 feet up inside where we actually were, were working. You know what I mean? It was just, it was devastating to watch all of that in Broadway and, of course, down here in Saundersville Road and all of the, the flooding that happened. It's just, so what have we learned since then? Well, uh, you know, that was a once in a millennium, hopefully event hopefully we don't ever see anything absolutely like that a, lot, a lot of factors upstream and downstream mm-hmm. with the within the cumberland river that caused a lot of that those issues but i mean the, the thing that we've learned in sumner county is, is that we we take those you know and you could see in other places in, in, in middle tennessee waverly where they've had a lot of big problems and yeah. that kind of thing yeah um, we take development in or near that floodplain very seriously uh, we do try to discourage might be a strong word but but we definitely ensure that any of those federal state local requirements that are out there for for doing anything in or near that floodplain mm-hmm. um, that that's very strictly followed sure um, and if, if they don't they choose to, to jump in there i guess their flood insurance has got to be through the roof <laughs> that's right that's right yeah they, they have to have to acquire flood insurance and that kind of thing and so we look at it as a life safety issue and a property a property issue as well mm-hmm. um, and so uh, we're all about the uh, it's really hard to solve problems that are already out there so mm-hmm. like in, in places like waverly in those places they had a lot of development many years ago that had occurred that was in that floodplain mm-hmm. it's hard to do anything about about that but we could do something about new development yeah. uh, going in the floodplain so Summer County really doesn't have a lot to do with with Old Hickory. That's more of a core thing, I guess. Uh, right. But it, do, you, do you, I'm sure you have interaction with them. I know that they're pretty particular about anything. <laughs> right. So how how do you guys interact with them? Well, it's uh, it's you know at the professional level, you know they're a federal agency. You know they they deal with the mayor's office quite a bit on on bigger picture mm-hmm. issues. You know, and and other mayors, elected officials in the county, um, when it comes to things like. Uh, 
you know pulling pulling water out of out of the river for drinking water and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, some of the the communities north of the ridge here in the county are, are working with them on some of those issues um, one of the things that we've we've worked with them some on um, is things like boat docks that kind of thing the, the river oh, itself yeah. uh, you know follows its the entire southern boundary of sumner county um, and so that's uh, the Corps has, has really for a long time it was very difficult to get a new permit to put a boat dock in and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, they've simplified that process and really streamlined it is my understanding yeah. in recent years um, so like, like a lot of agencies they're trying to be more customer friendly sure you know I guess with all of the property in Sumner County there's a lot of it most people never even see mm-hmm. I mean it, from your standpoint I mean I guess you have to there's a lot of areas in the mountains behind things and tucked away that how how do you get to all those places and kind of learn you know what's really out there i mean do you take a tour to to figure this out well our you know what what we're seeing across the county is there's not a part of the county right now that doesn't have some kind of building development type activity going on Um, whether that's in the in the upper eastern part of the county westmoreland you know all the way down to goodlettsville and portland all the way down to you know the uh, Trousdale County line down there. There's mm-hmm. people are building houses. They're putting putting buildings in. They're looking at how to divide property and that kind of thing. So, um, we, it's our responsibility when when folks get those permits. We have to go on site. We have to look and see what they're doing and that stormwater stuff I was talking about. Make sure those silt fence that, that thing you mentioned. You know, make sure that they've got those yep. kinds of things mm-hmm. up and that sort of stuff. So we're on the road a lot. My staff spends a lot of time on the road going between job sites. Yeah, and checking things. So from a planning and zoning uh, perspective. What are your, I guess, applications coming in? What are they looking like these days? It's uh, one of the really interesting things about working in county government and Sumner, in a place like Sumner County. It's it's how how diverse it is in a whole lot of different ways. But down south of the you know, southern part of the county, Hendersonville is you know suburbia, essentially typical suburbia. Uh, Gallatin to some extent as well um, but you get to the northern part of the county it's as rural as as you know East Tennessee in yeah. a lot of ways very very rural every, every kind of application you can imagine you know from you know there's people putting in garages and stuff like that which there's a lot of that with the pandemic a lot of home improvement projects mm-hmm. and that kind of thing mm-hmm. you know all the way to you know projects down closer to Hendersonville and Gallatin like uh, the goat farm which is a, a new ice facility that's that's been uh, been been approved uh, here in Sumner County. That's mm-hmm. that's been approved. The ice facility itself is is in the county. It's not sure. in one of the cities. Yeah. And so we're, we're, they run the gamut from really big, complex, multi-million dollar developments like that to to you know just people wanting to divide up a couple of lots for their kids to live on that kind mm-hmm. of thing. With the growth, I mean, there's only so much growth uh, here in Gallatin and Hendersonville. I mean, I guess that can happen. So people start venturing more north, which, which I guess would make sense. I mean, with 109, the way, what a great job they've they've done all of that. You know, coming into Sumner County, which improved that that traffic greatly. You know, you got shopping centers going up. You know, Publix is popping up everywhere. I, I would think that as we start venturing north, there's got to be some gold mines happening up up that way. So you got any secret plans? coming up <laughs> no, <laughs> no i'm not no, telling you <laughs> no well we don't you know I, we, we one thing that i think we do pride ourselves on is transparency uh, we don't have any there's no secret plans or anything like that everything we have is is available to the public um if anybody has any questions about something going in or going on at a piece of yeah. property they can always call us and we'll we'll tell them just exactly what's going Good. on um, but but like you said you know as as the cities uh, essentially fill up to some extent um they can't annex the way that they used to uh, cities can't can't annex as easily as they used to um, and so we're, we're definitely seeing folks that are developing in the county, whereas years ago it just would have been annexed into one of the cities. Yeah. And um, we're seeing a lot more of that. In the county section, as far as the roads go, is that is that handled uh, by the, the county or the, the, the cities or TDOT? 
Well, within the within the city's city roads, non-state routes are, are, are okay. owned and maintained by the cities. State routes are maintained by TDOT. Okay. Um, who I used to work for TDOT years ago. They're a great organization. But with, within the county, the, the county highway department maintains local roads. And, and like I said, TDOT mm-hmm. maintains the, the state roads, like 109 and 386. And those, those okay. Things. So here, here's what I'm going to throw at you. I'm, I'm sure you've never heard of this word, potholes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How are they handling those? Uh, and in Summer County, I've really seen a lot of uh, you know pothole issues or heard people talking about them. I mean, some of the city's roads, I've seen a few, but they've seemed like they've jumped on that to kind of repair some of these but yeah yeah the the, our highway department um does a phenomenal job Uh, they've they've gotten out there in the last couple years and the county commission has allocated them you know funding and that kind of thing you know in addition to the money they get from the state to you know repave a lot of roads and do lots of good maintenance and that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff Uh, it's been a a hard winter the last month or two has been pretty hard so on the particularly on the state roads they get a whole lot of traffic um you'll see potholes and that kind of stuff but tdot jumps on those as soon as the weather's good and they can get the asphalt plants up and that kind of thing you'll, you'll see them this spring on those getting those fixed yeah. Up. While you were talking, I don't know why this did, but creeks jumped into my mind. Now, some of these, the creeks that are here, you know, funneling water, I guess it eventually sends it out to Old Hickory, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Into that direction. I know for, from experience, the Lower Station Camp Creek, it, it gets pretty pretty flooded there when it when the rain comes in. And most people would say, why don't you just dredge it, make it deeper? Yeah. But you, you really can't, is that right? It's a complicated process. <laughs> it's, it's it's federal property, federal land, and there's uh, anytime you deal with the federal government, they uh, have, yeah. they have problems. Processes yeah. and it's it's they're there for a reason, you know. But the, getting in there and dredging out the creeks and that kind of thing around Old Hickory Lake, we we get those questions a lot. Okay, um, it's it requires the appropriate federal permits and review studies, and they've got to look and make sure that it's you know that the, what the impacts of it would be sure. and all that. So it's just a, just a long process to be able to get it done. And Tdot does not move fast. Well, the, that would be the core <laughs> down there. So and they, yeah, they oh, that's they right. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, don't, they don't move. They don't move fast on that. Well, <laughs> and and you know, for, to their credit, you know, speed on on a lot of things is mistakes get made when you do things mm-hmm. too too quickly without thinking them through and so sure. they, they've got a process that they have to follow for that yeah. kind of thing. we're going to take a break right now and i'll, I'll give you this to, to think about uh, when we come back let's talk about what's the hot spot in sumner county oh he's thinking <laughs> we'll be right back with more sumner county spotlight FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. All right, welcome back to more Sumner County Spotlight on this Sunday morning. We're talking to Josh Suddeth. Did I get it right? You got it right. Oh, jeez. Perfect. I'm getting an award for that. (laughs) (laughs) So before a break on the other side, we were talking about the hot spot in Sumner County. What does it look like? Uh, It's uh, it's actually, I think, the entirety of Sumner County, really the entirety of Middle Tennessee right now Mm -hmm. is is a hot spot. I mean, we're seeing folks, and if you've talked to, you know, some of the city planners from Gallatin or Hendersonville or anything, they're seeing the same thing. Uh, We're seeing folks from all over the country right now all over the country California New York uh, Illinois you know Ohio folks coming in here uh, by the hundreds by the thousands I don't know uh, what's the attraction do you think well I mean I think uh, climate and it's climate's a little better for some of the folks up north is, is one factor um, we're seeing a lot of a lot of folks younger folks have moved to Nashville for career opportunities mm-hmm. I mean this is just you know it's it's a growing place lots sure. of new jobs um, we're seeing fam- their family members coming 
and they're looking for a place to live. And we're seeing a lot of that. There's folks that out in California that maybe disagree with some of the things out there. We hear that folks come in all the time and, and they're looking for a, a change in, uh, in, in political climate, I guess, not so much uh, the temperature mm-hmm. climate, but mm-hmm. uh, they're coming to uh, middle Tennessee and, and that's that's part of that. And they well. save on taxes too. So Ta- I guess tax, that's got to be. That's part of that political climate I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, the yeah. tax burden here in, in, in Tennessee in general with no income tax and that kind of thing is 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 very favorable and if you compare it to a lot of other states it's uh it's, it's remarkable uh, what a good value it is to live in tennessee yeah absolutely and and you know the, the school system that's right. stellar that's i mean right. we've got some of the greatest institutions and public schools private schools they're right. all fabulous right. new schools coming online um on the, the liberty creek campus yeah. is, is set to open and uh, later this year uh, so we're excited about that. That's uh, that's that's a real big deal. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about you know planning and how the the planning situation's going. Are we seeing more influx of commercial? I mean, we know the residentials here. But that's that's obvious. <laughs> you know, with all these people coming here, they're going to need housing. But what about on a commercial standpoint? You have your metas that come in. You have your larger uh, companies. I guess when they they're looking for property, I mean, within the city limits, that's becoming increasingly hard to, to find the amount of land that they need so i guess they're venturing more into the county so what are we looking like on a commercial standpoint uh, with that attraction to some extent we're seeing some of that um we're, we're seeing spaces that are that are filling in that have been you know in between the cities the the goat farm project is a good example mm-hmm. with the, the ice facility and all that there on the shoot lane in nashville pike that area residential is, is definitely leading the way like we've talked about but uh but we're, we're definitely across the county and particularly within the cities uh, commercial is going to locate where the people are you're not you're not going to have as much commercial activity mm-hmm. in the hinterlands because people want to, obviously you want to be able to sell your stuff to some yeah, you know yeah. have, have shoppers come in and that kind of thing um, but but Gallatin right now and Hendersonville as well Hendersonville's had some real big announcements here in the last uh, last couple of months yeah. with, with Costco and um, Music, the, City the, the Music City Studios yeah. exactly I mean it's it's an exciting time here in yeah. Sumner County well and the fact that uh, you know Meta popped up out there and uh, and what a great feather in the cap for uh, you know the city with that I mean that's just an incredible the amount of people and the jobs that they offer well like Music City Studios, I mean, gosh, they're going to have uh, 850 plus jobs for right. people. I right. mean, full time gigs out here. So, I mean, it's uh, it's it's really good to kind of stimulate the economy for sure. Mm-hmm. And everybody loves to have the Costco. Then you got the Sam's Costco war going on again. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering when that was going to happen. But <laughs> we were talking about zoning. You know, you see these signs that pop up. You know, this come here for this public hearing on rezoning. Tell us what what that's all about, because some some people might not understand that process. Yeah. Well. The county and, and the cities as well. Um, we strive for for transparency um, to the to the maximum extent possible. Uh, that we even have some folks tell us we go overboard on it because we you know we we try every, everything we could possibly do to get the word out there about about what's coming, what applications are going to be considered, what changes are, are, are potentially coming down the pike, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so when you see one of those signs that's out there, what that means is that a property owner, be that a developer or a private property owner, yeah. um, want to change something with their property, has come in and they're they're either wanted to change the zoning of the property or they're filing some kind of an appeal where they need some kind of an exception. Uh, right, a variance or something. Mm, okay. And so those changes are significant to the property, and and they have an impact sometimes on adjoining property owners. Sure. And, so and they we, all don't get approved. No, they don't. Yeah. No, no, they absolutely don't. Um, but what we try to do is puts have them put signs out there, which we provide that they that are put out oh. at the property line. Okay. 
you know things like ads in the newspaper adjoining property owners get a letter um, letting them know that there's going to be a public hearing here's what what's proposed that kind of thing so we're trying to try to get the word out there and then public comes has an opportunity to speak at the meeting uh, mm-hmm. those are almost always public hearings um, where we uh, we give folks the opportunity to express their opinions and their views at you know have questions and that kind of thing about what's proposed sure and people uh, really like to speak in their mind I know because I've been through several uh, BOMA meetings here in Hendersonville when they're <laughs> when developers are trying to come in with with their properties uh, so yeah <laughs> but fun that's, right but that's I mean I, I really do believe this that an engaged engaged citizenry folks that live in the community that are engaged that care passionately about what's happening around them mm-hmm. that's a good thing that's sure. that's a really good thing and it, it shows they care about their property they care about what's happening and uh, and they want to be engaged with the the folks that they've elected to to make decisions mm-hmm. that's healthy uh, it, it, it takes up a lot of time in the sure. evenings but it's a healthy thing I mean, they come and voice their opinion. You have the public forums and things like that. They can express their views. Doesn't mean it's really going to sway any vote, votes or anything because there might be some other procedural things in place that we understand what you're saying, but we can't really do that because of this particular, you know, ordinance or what have you. Sometimes. Some, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, there's there's things in the code or, or things that, you you know, that a property owner can do by right. You know, they can just, they can come in and build that many houses sometimes on a piece of property mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Uh, but but, but but hearing from the, the folks, I mean, it helps it helps gives the elected officials you know an idea of the temperature of the community and that kind of thing. What are some of the, the criteria, I guess, if somebody wanted to request a, a rezoning? What are the options they have? Like, I don't, I'm not sure what those are. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, what, what I tell people is that anybody can request anything, <laughs> you know. And so yeah. now now what we have to do, you know, most of the property in the county is has a, a rural, a, like a residential, rural residential is what we call it, zoning designation. Okay. That's kind of like the default. Um, that allows you to have a single family home, any kind of farm operations, anything okay. like that, totally, totally allowed we don't regulate that but if you want to do something different you know if you want to do a uh, wedding venue or if you want to have uh, turn it into a subdivision or you want to do any number of other things there's going to be a process there's always a process to follow to get to that point mm-hmm. uh, the answer is very rarely to anybody no you can't do that um, the answer is um, okay well here's that we understand what you want to do now here's the process you'll need to follow to, to get it to get to, it to, where, to, to where, where you want it to go. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be approved. Um, th- there are decision makers that are at, in, that are appointed to those boards who make sure. those decisions, but we help people get through the process. Yeah. So I guess within, let's say, residential, kind of, there, I guess you have different categories of that. So if they wanted... Right. How does that work? Yeah, we the way we do it. Uh, most of the county is a lower density uh, default zoning, like I was talking about, which is about an acre acre zoning. So one lot per acre is kind of okay. the default. Um, if you want, we have uh, other zoning designations that are basically twice that dense, so twenty thousand square foot lots, give or take. Um, usually, if you want to come in in the county with something denser than that, or denser than than forty thousand square foot lots. Um, you're going to have to go to the county commission and rezone. We require you to bring, bring in a specific plan. We call that a plan unit development. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you come in with a specific plan and you show the planning commission and the county commission exactly what you want to do, exactly how it's going to be laid out, and they consider your plan. And, okay. and can, can I approve it or not approve it? You know. Yeah. But I know I've, I've heard a lot from commercial people that they want to come into a certain area and they can't because this particular zone is not zoned for that. Right. So then you would give them the options they would have to do to, if they wanted to qualify. That That's right. Yeah. yeah if, they, if they want to do a certain use, 
that's that's you know let's say i've got a piece of property that's zoned one of our zone designation is commercial neighborhood and so that might be like a little convenience store or something on the, on a street corner that kind of thing okay and let's just i'm just going to you know just say that somebody wanted to come in and do something much more intense than that that we might call a light industrial use well the answer would be well you can't do that with your current zoning mm-hmm. Here's the process to get right. the zoning changed, and you have to go to the county commission to do that. An, an illustration that just popped in my head was the the new Publix that's going on in Long Hollow Pike and uh, Big Station Camp. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty big project, and I know when we moved here, that was nothing but a rock quarry. I mean, it was such an eyesore, and I go, what the heck are they going to do with all this? And I, I could not believe how they whittled all of that solid rock down to what it is i mean i'm pretty impressed with that but the development right there on that corner with Publix, and i guess they have some other facilities going in there and i, I think that might be in in gallatin it might be in the city it, limits it is it is but it, it's butt up right against uh, residential because mm-hmm. you have your condos and single family homes right close to that how would uh, something like that be zoned um, you know, I'm not sure what their their zoning like designation on that is. Commercial it's, something it's, it's or another. It's some kind of a yeah. commercial plan development. Sure. But, you know, talking about challenging sites and that kind of thing. Um, you know, and I was, you know, I didn't really answer your question about what the hotspot in Southern oh. County is, but but I was being serious that kind of the whole county to some extent. Yeah. What, what we're seeing uh, is is sites across the county that maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, would have been too challenging to develop, and people just would have said, "I'm passing on that one." Yeah, they're more they're more feasible now. Um, yeah. they're, they're the people. The demand is such, and the home values and property values are such now um, that developers can absorb those development costs and mm-hmm. and, and 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 make make a profit at the end of the day um, on what they're proposing to do. So. Now, does the county, uh, when a developer comes in, does does the county have impact fees? Uh, we our only impact fee is uh, is really when you come in to, to build the house. Okay. Um, it, so we have a seventy uh, cent per square foot um, impact fee that's uh, that's assessed when you get a building permit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, that that goes towards school facilities. Basically, it's kind of mm-hmm. set aside and it's used when a new school needs to be built. Those funds can be used toward that. Well, we got a bunch of them because Liberty's popping up, and what a beautiful campus that is! It's great. Wow, it's great. I mean, that's impressive. Now, when we're talking about the impact fees, what about a commercial developer that comes in and wants to put in a shopping center? Right. So the cities would probably have they would have some fees. Now, there's always plan review fees, uh, that okay. kind of thing, to get to the planning commission and that kind of thing. That offsets the staff time. A lot of time goes into reviewing the plans and making mm-hmm. corrections and that kind of stuff. Um, now, as far as that, that impact fee that I was talking about, um, that was passed back in the mid-90s, I believe, late 90s by the state legislature, specifically for Sumner County. It's for residential development, industrial development, but it excludes commercial. Uh-huh. Um, so commercial doesn't pay that impact fee. But they could come in and negotiate a kind of impact fee if they say, okay, you can come in here, but we want you to redo the roads now that, that, around here that's right now that's okay. and that's a little bit different so okay. so that's that's something that that people will, will get a little sideways on sometimes is understanding the difference uh, the impact fee is basically where we said you know what the legislature said is the house comes in they've got children there's an impact on school facilities yeah. so there's a oh, fee okay. for that right um, now what you're talking about there as far as road improvements and that kind of thing so say i've got a commercial development or a residential development coming in on a piece of a road uh, that's that's already there right we, we would have them do a traffic impact study and say okay well Based on the number of trips or the number of lots or whatever whatever it might mm-hmm. be, what's the impact on this road going to be? What improvements need to be made up the road, down the road, and mm-hmm. in the vicinity of the project? And uh, the the county and the cities will will have the developer make those improvements at their expense. Um, oh, so so okay. they have to offset the the cost of their own development. Yeah, and I've seen some of them where they they throw well if you want to do this, and then some of the developers end up backing out. Maybe they don't want to go to that extent because it could be pretty costly. 
sometimes sometimes i mean you know it's it's uh, you know at the end of the day it's developing property is, is it's not a charity operation those those guys are in it to make money sure and they've got to look at the bottom line yeah but like i was saying what we're seeing a whole lot more of across the county and middle tennessee in general is uh, developers are willing to make those improvements because they can. They, they seem to come, to be able to make it work. Mm-hmm. From your department, and you, you've got engineering, floor plan administration, planning and zoning, stormwater compliance. What is the the state of your department <laughs> at it's, this point, and what's it looking like here in the near future? Well, the the county commission has been just in the, our planning commission, the mayor and everybody. They've been they've been fantastic. When I started a few years ago, it was it, it, it was bare bones, and we still are pretty bare bones. Um, but uh, they they've allowed us to you know with all the growth going on, we didn't have that engineering function didn't have a county engineer at that time mm-hmm. um, to look at look at drainage plans and that kind of stuff so they, they've let us bring on a couple of new staff members and that kind of thing that have helped to to make sure that those developments when they come through that, that what gets approved is a better quality development that like i was saying pre- prevents those problems it's, mm-hmm. it's real easy to prevent problems versus fixing on the back end um, and so i think the, the state of my department is um, is, is pretty good. Uh, we've, the, like I said, we've been able to, to have the staff to be able to process the applications and review the plans and that kind of thing uh, to, to make sure that the built environment turns out the way that the decision makers want it to be. Sure, absolutely. Well, I mean, great things ha- happening in Sumner County. A lot of activity, a lot of excitement, a lot of people moving here. That's right. <laughs> so you got your job cut out for you. Job security, I guess. <laughs> That's always a good thing. So, hey, we've been talking with Josh Suddeth, uh, the Director of Development Services for Sumner County. And Josh, man, th- thanks taking your time out here i know how, how busy it is down there and uh just make sure you keep anthony in line there tell him i said hey <laughs> sure will sure will. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate you coming in hey so that's going to wrap it up for this edition of sumner county spotlight here with jeff shannon uh, join us next sunday at 10 a.m right here oh and don't forget it's gonna be on our podcast page at whinradio.com so we'll check you next time right here this is jeff shannon saying so long. Sumner County Spotlight on 100.7 WHIN 1010 AM has been brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Whether you need personal banking, banking for your business, a home mortgage, or considering refinancing your home, FNM Bank will provide you with excellent service right here in Sumner County. Visit them today at myfmbank.com. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday morning at 10 AM. Thanks for listening.